Amen. What a cry of victory. Hallelujah. The Lord fights for us. And I hope that is reality in your life and you sense that this morning. Even as we turn to Exodus chapter 14, I encourage you to go ahead, turn there, swipe there, get there however you got to. Exodus chapter 14 as we look at God's word together and as we are reminded of how he does bring victory so that they will know that he will speak into individuals' lives. You know, I recognize, and you recognize this, we all recognize that we are in a predicament, right? We're in a predicament with a capital P. Some of you this morning probably say, yeah, I feel like I'm in a predicament. I've got this mask, and I'm trying to listen to you and all of that. Yeah, some of you, you're in a predicament with that mask. Have you noticed how this mask is like pulling some people's ears forward? I don't know if they'll ever sling back the way they were. But anyway, it's, I know you're in a predicament. You may feel like you're in a predicament. All of us are in a predicament, especially as we look at our community, as we look at the world in which we live. I mean, folks, businesses are in a predicament. Schools are in a predicament. Churches are in a predicament. Families are in a predicament. So are individuals trying to make choices every day. You know, I think about our businesses. They're trying to get back and trying to get going. and They've reopened maybe and they're trying to continue that reopening process because they've got to be able to feed not only their families but also the families of their employees. And if somebody doesn't work, they don't get paid. And that is a predicament. And we're seeing that across our community and state and nation and beyond. So our businesses are in a predicament. Our schools we all know in a sense that we need to get back in school. We need to get back into the university setting, the classroom. We all know that. We all need to be about community in some way. And the academic, spiritual, social, all the different aspects of growth that go on with getting back in school. And yet we've got to try to do it in a very wise and prudent way to get our children back and our families back, just as businesses are trying to safeguard their employees, so you want to safeguard students and teachers. And I mean, there's so many different decisions to make. What a predicament. For us as a church, do you know what a predicament we have been in of trying to decide the right moment, the right time to, to first come back on campus as we did, and then to offer the small group Bible studies and, and to be able to continue ministry? I mean, what a predicament. Exodus chapter 14, it shows us the people of God in a predicament. And what I see there is that God led them into a predicament so that he could demonstrate their inadequacy and also display his glory. I want you to think about that for a moment. I want to unpack that statement through the scripture that God led his people into a predicament so that he could show them their inadequacy but also so that he could display his might and strength and glory. And is that perhaps what God has done for us of leading us into a predicament for us to see how wanting we are and how ready and able he is. Let's look at it together. Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Pahaharoth, between Magdal and the sea, 
opposite bells upon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For, the, for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So in verse 1 and in verse 2, you hear the directive voice of God. God is instructing his people. God is guiding his people. God is leading his people. He said, I need you to go to this Pahaharath. I want you to camp. There, God is leading his people. Well, that shouldn't surprise you because if you'd gone back and looked at chapter 13, you would see exactly how God was leading his people. Back in verse 18, in verse 18 it says, so God led them. And then in verse 21 of that 13th chapter, it said that he led them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And verse 22 of that 13th chapter says that that was a continuing guidance in their life. In other words, they always had the cloud or they always had the fire. They always did. God was leading them. He was guiding them. Isn't that kind of awesome? I mean, have you ever thought to yourself, man, God, I wish you'd just bring a cloud in my life to help me discern your will. God, I, I, wish, you would, I wish you'd bring a pillar of fire. Like you did in the days of old to help me discern and figure out exactly what I need to do. I mean, I have said, God, it, it would be nice. Now, I know some of you have tried to make out God's message in the clouds. This is a different cloud, all right? This is a specific cloud that went before the people of God. And look, if it moved right, they were to move right. If it went left, they were to move left. If, they were to, if it moved forward, go forward. If it backed up, you better back up because that was the sign of God in your life. I say again, it would be awesome to have that sometimes, wouldn't it? Like you're trying to choose a career path. God, do you want me to go into engineering and sign the rest of my life away as I study and do all of this? Or, or God, would you allow me to be a preacher? And there's not much preparation for that. Would you, preacher, God, what would you, what would you, wouldn't it be awesome if God just showed up in some way and spoke through a cloud or a fire? Or maybe a specific area. There's a job opening at the paper mill. And you're trying to decide, should I take this job? And you drive by the paper mill and what do you see? Uh, this great cloud just settled down like the Shekinah glory of God just all around the paper mill. Now, I know there are a lot of clouds around paper mills, but I'm talking about God's cloud. And you'd be able to say, yeah, that must be what God is wanting me to do. Or maybe it's whether or not you should move or buy this house. Wouldn't it be awesome sometimes to lay down at night and to be thinking about it and all of a sudden open your eyes and see a pillar of fire right before you that says, Hey, this is what I wanted you to do. There are times, there are times, I say, God, I wish you'd lead us like, like you did the people of Israel. I mean, because he was leading them. There's no doubt. He led them, and he led them all the time. Let me just digress, not too far, but digress just a moment. I just want to remind you that you and I have something a whole lot better than a cloud or a pillar of fire. He's called the Holy Spirit of God that lives within you. And the Holy Spirit is to help you each and every day. And yes, it can be still difficult, discerning, but 
I've realized that God can use that difficulty and decision making to grow you. And the Holy Spirit will be there to help you and to guide you. But the Holy Spirit does. He guides us and he leads us. Well, notice again, though, how he leads us. And notice how I believe that he can even lead us into a predicament. Now, God is leading and he leads them to Paharat. I've been practicing that a lot over the last week. Okay? But he leads them to this area, this encampment. This is the third encampment that they've been in since they left Egypt. Remember, the Passover had occurred. Pharaoh had expelled them. They had all kinds of resources. They left Egypt. This is the third encampment. And this encampment, to me, is in a strange direction. God tells them to go to this place, but it's like they are backtracking. If you were to look at the map, it was like they went back toward Egypt. If you left Egypt, you wouldn't want to get as far away from Egypt as you could. I'd be like, God, I'm on the other side of the wilderness by now. I want to get to the promised land as soon as I could. But God actually directed them to retrace their steps. God's got a plan. And he even says this. He says, hey, I'm going to really distract the the armies of Egypt. I'm going to fill Pharaoh's mind with this idea that they are confused, that the people of Israel are confused. So they go back and they retrace their steps. They go back toward Egypt. It's It's a strange direction, but to me, it is a suicidal location. That is, when you look at where they are, They are in one of the most vulnerable spots militarily you could ever think of. So so let me try to describe it for you. Here they are, they're making camp. Now our scripture says it is by the sea. So to the east of them, you have the Red Sea. So if there's an attack, you are hemmed in, if you will, by the Red Sea to the east. Look up to the north. The north, you would have found a mountain range. You would have found military fortresses of the Egyptians. In other words, if you had to get out, you weren't going north because you would be met by the enemy. The south. The south was the wilderness. The south was basically a desert. How long would you last with, say, two million people in the wilderness? How long would you last? And then to the west behind them, well, that's Egypt. So think of this. You got a sea in front of you. You've got a desert to the south of you. You have mountains and fortresses to the north. And behind you, you have Egypt that you just left that's full of your enemy. That sounds like a trap. That sounds like being... In the proverbial rock in a hard place. Does it not? Hey, when I was growing up on Saturday mornings, I kind of like Saturday mornings because you could watch cartoons. Now, I know you watch cartoons all the time, but this was back, I know, in the ancient day when we had like three channels, okay? And you watch cartoons on Saturday morning. Well, you watch cartoons until my dad came in. And when my dad came in, my dad was the ruler of the remote, 
I don't know if any of you had dads like that, but he controlled the remote, even on Saturday morning. And what he would do oftentimes is he would like watch the movie of the week. That's what it was called back then. It was a local sponsor, maybe like a little contractor or builder or something that would present the movie of the week. And the movie of the week was always a Western. Always a Western. Always kind of hope for something else, but a Western every Saturday. John Wayne, well, he became a family member to us. John Wayne, I saw him more than I did most of my family members because every Saturday he would be there. And there would be this spot in a Western. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but there's a spot in a Western where people are going to get ambushed. It might be the outlaws that will ambush the good guys, or it might be the good guys who are going to ambush the outlaws. But what would they do? They would always wait. They'd find the terrain that was very friendly to them. It would be like a ravine, right, or something like that, a narrow passage. And the people would come through the narrow passage, and those who wanted to lay in ambush, they would take the high ground, and then they would shoot down or whatever else. I mean, you knew it was coming every show right and you're almost like if the good guy's going through you're almost like please don't go in there please don't go in there you're gonna get when you read this scripture you need to hear that the people of Israel are right in the exact spot where an ambush should occur they're in the most vulnerable spot militarily you could find they are in a predicament with a capital P and again how did they get there God led them there don't miss that God God put them there God was leading the cloud had led them there the fire had led them there they are there in a predicament because of God now that's going to violate some of your theology some of you in here are like oh God didn't just lead us Friends, I'm not saying to you that God causes every bad thing that happens in your life or in mine. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you and I can't put ourselves in some predicament sometimes with our choices. Because certainly we can. But I also believe that the God that I serve is the God that is sovereign over every human activity, that he is the one who directs human affairs, and he is the one that can orchestrate history and the events of history together for his glory. I believe that. And I believe that God will put us in some type of predicament from time to time in our lives. Because our God is not just concerned about our happiness. Our God is concerned about our holiness and how he is going to grow us. So sometimes what will he do? He will tighten it down. He will tighten down your life, your spiritual life. He can do that. Ask the disciples. If you really want to look at it, ask the disciples. What did the disciples do? Remember when Jesus came to the disciples and he told them to get into the boat? They got into the boat and they went across the sea. But what did they encounter as they went across that sea? A storm. A storm. Now, did Jesus know that there would be a storm? Hey, I I can hear you somewhat. You got to speak loud. But did Jesus know there would be a storm? Yes, he did. So he purposely sent them across the sea to experience the storm. And according to what I'm reading right here is 
God specifically put them in this strange location, this suicidal location, so that they would experience the army of Egypt, but ultimately the victory that only he could bring. He puts us in a predicament. Why does he do that? Well, I'm convinced that he does that to show us our inadequacy. To show us how we can't handle things on our own. So so look at this. Pick up, if you will, in verse 5. In verse 5, it it says, Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, his army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside Pahaharoth before baal Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried, Unto the Lord. Pharaoh says, you know what? They are bewildered. They're confused. Those encampments, those three that they had been at, all around the wilderness. So it's kind of like Pharaoh thinks they're scared. They won't go into the wilderness. Because, hey, they're a bunch of fugitives. They don't have life skills to go into the wilderness. So they're scared of it. They're wandering around. This is our moment. This is our time. Pharaoh believes that the favor of God of the gods has changed and that the Egyptians can defeat the Israelites. So what does he do? He gets 600 best chariots that he's got. 600. And it says he has more, so he's got at least a thousand, maybe thousands of chariots. He puts together this army and he pursues. He says, why would I allow my economy to run away? So he pursues the Israelites. He's got all kinds of an army. Well, it says here that as the Israelites are camping, as they're camping there, they hear, they see the Egyptian army approaching. Contrast verse 8 with verse 10. In verse 8, in verse 8, they had boldness. I bet they did. I mean, they've been delivered from Egypt. They were walking around. They were excited. They were, I mean, can you see the smug grin on their face? I mean, after all those years, 430 years, they finally had a victory against Egypt. It's kind of like an Ole Miss fan. When Ole Miss football finally wins in Baton Rouge, we walk around with a smug face all year long because it finally happened. They had that boldness. But that boldness changed quickly in verse 10 when it says they were very afraid. You ought to underline that, very. They could hear the thunder of the chariots coming at them. They could see this mighty army and they knew they were in a trap. There was no fleeing. There was no running away. They were in a trap. And they cried out 
to the Lord. You know, I really believe that God puts us in a predicament sometimes just to remind us how inadequate we really are on our own. Do you know how inadequate I have felt over the last few months? Do you know how, like, through the situations that we see around ourselves, I realize every day how human I am and how God He is. I realize that I can't do this on my own. You can't do this on your own. If you're trying to navigate your family through this on your own, you're going to fail. If you're going to try to navigate your business right now through this, you're going to fail. Because we are all inadequate. It's like we are trapped. It's like we're hemmed in. And it's just the predicament around us. But what God wants to show us is that we may be inadequate. But He is always sufficient. He is always the strong one. Look. When God puts you in a predicament, all you can do is look up. When you're flat of your back, all you can see is the heavens. And God will put you on your back. He will put you in a predicament so that what you will be forced to do is look up. Corey Tim Boom some years ago said that if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. He sa she said if you look inside, you'll be depressed. But if you'll look at God... She said, you will be at rest. The idea is, if you look at everything else, if you're just trying to look at the army that's coming against you, the army that's attacking you, if you realize that you're in just a predicament and that's all you can see, you are going to be distressed. You are going to see how inadequate you are. You are going to be depressed. But what God does is drive us to those places so that we can rest in Him. So He can display His glory. Isn't that what he's doing here? Look in, verse, look in verse 11. It says, They said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, you have, taken us, you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? If this, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we die in the wilderness. He said, he said, what they do, they blame Moses. Blame Moses. Moses, we told you, it'd be better to be a servant in Egypt than to be dead in the wilderness. We, we'd rather be alive. We told you, we argued with you. Now, you realize how selective that memory is. I don't remember anybody at the end of the Passover event or that festival, I don't remember anybody standing up and saying, Hey, Moses, maybe we ought to stay here. Because that usually happens. When people, like, engage in blame, they get in a predicament and they start blaming people. And it's very selective in the way they blame people. But they blame people, and this one and that one. Ah. But look, if you will, in verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid do not be afraid aren't you proud God inserted those words into the scripture do you know you find them in the Old Testament you find them in the New Testament don't you do not be afraid do not be afraid over the last 
few weeks and months, I've actually taken that and said, God, just, just remind me. Just, just help me. Do not be afraid. And then look what he says. Stand still. In other words, just stand right where you are. Just a moment. He's going to tell them to go forward, but it, it just a little bit. But he said, right now, you just need to stand still. You need to stand still. You need to see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Because you are inadequate. You realize you can't do anything. You, this is a group of fugitives that just left Egypt. They can't fight back against the military might of Egypt. But God said, hold on, I'm going to fight for you. You, you're going to get to stand still. You can stand still. You can have peace. Don't say a whole lot. Just don't veer. Some good advice for us these days. Some good advice. Listen, I believe we ought to do everything we can to take precautions. I, I, I've been trying to work through this in my personal life, my family life, the church life. I know we, we need to take precautions, and I hope you see us doing that. Even as we've tried to start back small group Bible studies and those kinds of things, we're hoping to take precautions. We need to do that. Take precautions. But may I say to you, set your peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Allow him to settle your heart and your mind. Do not live in fear. You and I cannot live in fear. We are not people of fear. We are the ones who are on the winning side of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should not be intimidated by the evil and difficulty that comes at us. You and I must be people of peace. Again, take precautions. But no, you cannot live in fear. Look, there may be more days where we have to go online specifically, and we will evaluate those. But what we need to do as a church is be reminded, you and I cannot succumb to fear right now because right now is the time that this world needs to see the church standing in peace and confidence that we ourselves, that we will take precaution, but we will not surrender to fear in our lives. As a matter of fact, you and I need to communicate to people, hey, you take precautions, but still there are tragedies that come, but you and I can face tragedies. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. You and I need to be reminded that there is something better than what this world offers and that I'm living each day, and look, I'm not prepared to, I'm prepared to meet the Lord, but I'm also kind of not wanting to leave my kids around right now. I got all that. But you know what? If the Lord calls me home, if next Sunday you hear that Reggie is not in this pulpit because he has died, he is gone, you just know that I'm in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and you ain't got to worry about me anymore because I do not live in fear. Fear of death or anything else that comes at me. You and I shouldn't live in fear when the enemy is breathing down our necks. That's what you see here. Dude, don't fear. See the salvation. Oh, let God show his glory. Uh, verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Yeah, that sounds like a winning military strategy, doesn't it? Go forward. Go forward where? Into the sea. That's forward. God just told Moses 
to tell the people to do the impossible, to do the unreasonable, to walk into the sea. And then he says, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea and I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them so I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen he says just know I'm going to do this because I want to show even the Egyptians how great I am and then says in verse 19, the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one and it gave light by night to the other so that the one did not come near the other all night long. So what happens? The cloud moves. The Egyptians coming, but the angel of God first moves. The cloud moves. And it creates a barrier between the peoples so that the Egyptians cannot attack. It's like a fog that comes. The Egyptians can't see. And what's cool about this is on the Egyptian side, it's dark. On the Israelite side, it's light. Because God had been making a distinction in the plagues with the Egyptians and Israelites. Here he's making a a distinction again. This last Friday, we were at a lake. And that storm, I don't know if you, that storm came up and it was kind of eerie because you could see like darkness over half the lake as it moved in and there was light over the rest of the lake. And I was sitting there thinking about this, knew I was preaching this, worked on my sermon. I thought, man, this, this is eerie, but can you imagine the cloud is giving light on one side, it's giving darkness on the other because God is working. And then look what it says, verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all the night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So why did the wind blow all night? To dry out the land. Could you imagine the marshy soil that must have been left by the, by the sea separating? He, drew, he used the wind to dry it out. Verse 22, so the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Incredible. I always try to put myself into the biblical narrative. I'm thinking about walking and there's water, a wall of water on one side and a wall of water on the other. I kind of like to just stop and just like stick my finger in it, you know? Like, is this real? I mean, when a fish swims by you or whatever are you kidding are you kidding me we are walking on dry ground through the middle of the red sea and the egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea all pharaoh's horses his chariots and his horsemen that came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud. And he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel. For the Lord, all caps, means the God of Israel, Yahweh. The Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned, covered the chariots, the horsemen, all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not as much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Can anybody just say, wow. I mean, that story, it still has punch today. Wow. God had opened a way. God had delivered them out of the predicament that he had led them in. God had worked in their lives. I, I remember there was a young boy that was in Sunday school, and he had heard the story of the Red Sea. And he came out of Sunday school and saw his dad. And his dad he began telling his dad about what they had studied. He said, Dad, I mean, it was amazing. It was amazing that the Israelites defeated the Egyptians. It was an unbelievable story. I mean, the, according to what our Sunday school teacher said, I mean, the Israeli Navy came in from the Red Sea, and they helped deliver over here. And then when they were in a really a bind, they called in the Air Force, the Israeli Air Force, to the other side. That's what happened. Kind of sounds like what Chris Barr might teach his Sunday school kids sometimes or so. But he said, that's what happened. And da the dad looked at the young boy and said, son, now come on. Is that the way it really happened? And the son said, no, daddy, but if I told you the truth of what they said, you'd never believe me. I mean, come on. This isn't even believable. And yet, it is the truth. This is what God did. And this is what would be repeated for centuries and centuries to come. Why? Because God had shown them how great and wonderful he was. He led them to a predicament so they could see how inadequate. But then he said, I want you to see how strong I am. Could God be doing that with us right now? Could God be putting us in a predicament as a church, as businesses, to be able to help us focus and see how inadequate we are and how we are truly desperate for him, how we need his touch? How we need him. I admit that I've been praying, God, chart a new course for us. I've been praying, God, do something different. God, I don't like the path I'm on right now. Help me. But instead of always focusing upon another course, maybe it's time for us to stop and say, God, this is where you have placed us for such a time as this. And if this is the moment you have given us, God, how can we display your glory among those we come in contact with? Because I'm convinced that you and I as believers, we are made for these moments. This is the moment where we demonstrate his power and his peace. This is the moment where we say we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the moment when we stand together. God saved. Verses 30 through 31. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And oh yeah, he did. Nobody else could claim credit for it. He saved he saved. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And Israel saw 
the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. They feared. They stood in awe of this great God. And they believed him. They trusted him. What could be more glorifying than the plagues themselves? The dividing of the Red Sea. This is the event. This is the event that would be repeated. Chuck Swindoll says that the crossing of the Red Sea is to the Old Testament what the resurrection is to the New Testament. And how many times we hear the formula, the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt. The prophets would repeat it. The poets would write about it. The Lord who brought you up out of Egypt. Because what God did is he put them in a predicament so he could show his majesty and power and victory. The Israelites would know it. The Egyptians would know it. Back in verse 4 and verse 18, he had said, I'm doing this so that they'll know. I want them to know that I am the Lord. God will put us in a predicament so he can show his glory so that people will know that he is. I didn't mention this in the first service, but something I read said that historical and archaeological records show that the Egyptians got the message. Because for 17 years, according to one record, for 17 years they would never come to this place in the Red Sea. They would not launch an attack against the Syrians for 22 years, which meant they would have to cross the Red Sea. They didn't want to have anything to do with the Red Sea. Because you know why? They didn't want to have anything to do with the God of Israel. They remembered. Because they would know that he was the Lord. God is in the business of using predicaments to show his glory. Think about the cross. The cross of Calvary. The cross of Calvary, would you not say that that's a predicament? That here the Son of God is on the cross? It was as though Satan had laid a trap and he had finally overcome the Son. We know it was from the purpose of God from the beginning. And God was using that predicament and he used it obviously for us for salvation. Because if Jesus had not died, you and I would not have life. If Jesus had not died, he never would have been resurrected and you would never know the power of the resurrection. For you see, God will lead us into a predicament so he can show us how inadequate we are, but also show us how powerful he is. Just as he did here. He led them right by the Red Sea so that he could part the waters and there would be a song of deliverance that could be sung for ages and ages and ages. If you've never given your life to Christ, know he's made a way. He parted the Red Sea. He died on the cross for you and rose again. That if you will confess your sins and admit who you are before him and, and just commit yourself to him. Lord, I want to be saved. Guess what? He can save you. Wouldn't it be awesome that God would use a predicament like we see around us right now to bring more people to Christ? That there would be more salvations? I'll be here in just a moment. I'm going to encourage you. If you need to talk to me about just giving your life to Christ, being baptized, whatever else it is, you come, you talk to me.
How about those of us who have been saved? Are we allowing the peace of God to reign in our hearts? Have we prayed, God, whatever it is, whatever's coming at us, God, may we use it to demonstrate how great and glorious you are. Because, Lord, we're, we're inadequate. And maybe this morning we need to commit ourselves more to that. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you, and, Lord, we do pray. Lord, you know our predicament better than anybody else. You see our struggles. You see our weaknesses. You see our pain. And, Father, we know that as you are reigning over us, as Lord, even as we're experiencing this right now within your permissive will, God, we know that you're teaching us how inadequate we are. Lord, how weak we are. God, we stand in so desperate need of you. We can become so fearful from day to day with numbers and reports. And God, establish our hearts. Help us to know that the God who separated the Red Sea is the same God that can powerfully work in our lives today to bring healing and life. God, there may be some this morning that need to be delivered from their bondage in that proverbial Egypt. God, help them know that they can break loose, but not through their own strength, through the strength of the Lord Jesus that you sent for us. Speak to us now. Help us as we respond to you. In Jesus' name.